Good morning, this is Brian Betts, the host of Faith Over Breakfast, but more importantly I am with our wonderful pastors, <laughs> Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. Good morning guys, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing well. I'm glad, I'm glad you're both doing well, drinking your uh, dirty chai tea latte and... Got my uh, Whiskey Town Biscuit. Whiskey Town in Biscuit. In my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's, wow, looks good. It, it is good. It's delicious. And if you want half of mine, I have not taken a bite of... Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're hungry. It's delicious. No, it's a lot of food for me in the morning. Are you a not a lot of food in the morning guy? I should be probably, but I... I'm not... I'm, I'm on this, like, uh, to, like, tell everybody. Mm. I'm on this blood pressure medicine since yeah. some issues of last... Uh, year where I was I was on this really good like weight loss thing going into that so I'd lost like 20 some odd pounds or whatever nice and then I started taking this beta blocker and I barely eat anything and I'm gaining weight Hmm. so I have an appointment with my doctor soon in the next month or so to kind of figure out if I can get off of this now that the other issues are over yeah um man so and get back to actually losing weight. So. Man. Okay. Well, yeah, it's very frustrating. Yeah. So if you're a doctor and you're listening to us, you want to give me free <laughs> advice. Faith over breakfast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. There you go. Yeah. Uh, we'll be praying for you. Yeah, well, and, and while you guys talk, I think I'll, I'll look at our statistics and oh. uh, give us, you know, how many people from Japan are listening to us. Yeah. And how many new listeners we have, and, and all that good stuff. I forgot to do that because Brian was telling us about some, me, you know, some important things about his life that That's can't right. be shared on air. But one of which that can be shared on air is that Brian. This is the end of Brian's day, so this is faith over dinner for Brian. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's worked like all night long, and he's here. So the. You know, we used to have a, a little sound effect that we would insert a train that when Brian had a thought, but from now on. We're going to use that sound effect to wake Brian back up. So, um, so no more profound moments that you miss by me, yeah, because of the train. Now they were it so just, profound. Uh, yep, yeah, all every single one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like I should be the pastor. She <laughs> <laughs> yeah. should be those. No, sure, man. But <laughs> I really appreciate that comment. No, uh, you do whatever you need to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, we once felt that way about being pastors too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I know. No, you were always terrified. You knew too much growing up. You knew too yeah, much. Well, and I just prefer to be the pastor's best friend mm-hmm. because you got no responsibility, and you'd get to cheer him on and make him better. And right, go home. That's what I always prefer. Nobody to do. calls you. That yeah. night. That's why I'm the host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I wanted to be like an outreach guy or something. I'd get to do cool stuff while some pastor made all the, the hard decisions. That's right. Dealt with all the sticky stuff and, you know. Occasionally be on stage, get your word out, but you don't have to shepherd anybody. Oh, yeah, like really, right. Yeah. Right, like I like to shepherd the chairs mm-hmm. and the microphones. I like to, hey, I'll lead the small group, <laughs> but mm-hmm. if I have problems, I'm going to come to you and say, I got problems with people in my small group. Yeah. <laughs> Right. What can you do about it? And be able to ultimately <laughs> just pass blame on the other. Like, if it's all going south, yeah, man, we need more pastors, good pastors these days. Yeah. <laughs> or even when you hear the complaints about the pastor, you're like, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think I can talk I to totally him about it. I totally see that, too, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll look up for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. now that we've trashed that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And now, and now it's just all our fault. Yeah, that's, that's right. Which is always wonderful. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Well, here's some interesting stats. We've got 55 listeners mm. on average now. Oh, yeah. So that we're up like I think seven, oh, six yeah. or seven listeners this week. Yeah. And on top of that, here's a fun stat: five Faith Over Breakfast podcasts are listened to every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Oh. Every day. Somebody oh. at least downloads or streams part yeah. of our or podcast views. or views <laughs> yeah. and. Over the last five days, 40 listens in Tokyo. In Tokyo. Man, are they like our... They're no, number two. They're Still number, number two. two. They're sitting at number two. Man. Actually, Burnsville, North Carolina. Yeah. Who's at Burnsville? I don't know. Somebody. Wow. I've wow. got family, but I doubt they're listening. <laughs> listening I, they are not listening to me. I promise. Yeah, and Santa Clara and Gilbert and Georgia. Peoria, Arizona. Walnut Creek. You know anybody in Walnut Creek? Yeah. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. For listening, it's Ryan. good to see you. Good to hear you. We, we, we do have the ability to see you, by the way. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> yeah we're watching you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like Toko from Watch Us. But, That's right. Um, so today's topic is about the events that happened uh, this past weekend in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been a lot of conversation uh, some of it healthy what I've seen most of it not uh, all over Facebook uh, um, Twitter uh, and I was curious about whether you, because there's all sorts of articles swirling around. I'll start out with that what sort of articles have you seen circulate uh, on the internet that you've like caught your eye or even read it pretty intently yeah well of course you know as we're all learning you know our social media feeds feed us the people that we watch the most or the things that they think are going to bait us the most or whatever so I'm you know I'm sure that my feed isn't just like yours or anybody else's it's tailored to me so uh, you know so I've seen actually really quick I I do want to answer that question but I have an immediate question for you and I want to forget just what you just said so as our, you're a millennial, you're our young guy, so this idea of, like, the unhealthy articles, 
what's what's popping out at you? What's what what makes it feel like unhealthy? The discussion you're hearing. Uh, these discussions that I'm referring to that uh, unhealthy are I, I've seen from all sides. Yeah. And because uh, I've got liberal Christian friends in California that like will. Oh man, that's Californians. Yeah. 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 yeah, Santa Clara, Sorry, Walnut well, Creek. Yeah, Walnut well, Creek. Just Sorry listen up. That. Listen up to this part. They have ultra conservative friends, and I have both sides, and all the way down to the middle, that both have like Christian views. Like, yeah. they're influenced in one way or another, whether yeah. that's the driving force um, or even not, and it's completely just like. Atheistic, and they have a specific view, and so you got the uh, whole spectrum. I, got, I have like this the entire spectrum. I've because I, I've lived a lot of places, and I've a lot. I will like each one, not like I'll like their some of their stuff, some of their other content, not the stuff that I necessarily disagree with, but um, that, that way because I know that those things will filter through, and uh, some things if I don't like it enough. I won't hear their voice as much. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So, um, so, so the, but their conversation is unhealthy because of what's, what are they, what's unhealthy about it? It's more getting their point out there and it's more of like, this is why I'm right and I'm morally upstanding and mm. you're not because yeah. of your perspective. Right. And the, more like violence is okay. Uh, regardless, like even because your viewpoint is bad. Uh, there's not like an encouragement of free speech or whatever and um, and that's something we can definitely talk about but um, yeah so it's not like this level of like there's no, not there's a lack of humility uh, that I've seen like all over Facebook mm. um, yeah and it's like if you want to encourage a conversation to happen then if you say something and someone responds and you lash out at them without giving them a benefit of doubt or without giving them a proper voice, um, then what's the point of having a conversation? Yeah. So. I, I have a question for you, Eric. Yes. It's like, have you put anything out on social media about this? No. Um, yeah, neither neither well, have I to actually, this, at yes. this point. Yes, I, I have. Yeah. I did respond to Tony Jones, uh-huh. who put out a tweet that said, uh, this t- this morning, meaning Sunday morning, every white evangelical pastor has a choice. Yeah, they can either speak out against this, or they can ignore it. Right. And I disagreed with him. Yeah. What, was, um, what did you say? And well, here's here's my thing. One, we're a bunch of white people talking about an issue. Yep. Um. Yes, it's being provoked by white people. Yeah. But. White power is systemic, meaning right. it's not just some people demonstrating, it's, it's privilege, and we have it in our genetic code in a way as Americans. And so actually what I felt like he was saying was, why don't you use your power position to actually point out that you're in power and you can dictate what's good and what isn't good? Um, and so what I said in my response was, I think there's a third way it's a little bit more difficult, and that is, what does it look like for me to step away from the place of power and making right. a proclamation and hand over that to the person without a voice within my own community? 
So that may not actually mean my puppet. For me, literally what it meant was that afterwards, we do actually have a number of uh, African-American people in our community and Hispanic people, Puerto Rican, um, people from Japan. Um, and so I just went and sat with one of the couples and said, like, why don't we talk about how you've experienced racism? What's going on right now? And it was, yeah. you know, beginning to allow their voice to be spoken and let me hear it because there's a lot of fear now you know my community um i would argue that even though there's a lot of poverty in it it's a it's still a community of privilege even in the sense of our um the people who who are minorities are well educated have master's degrees they're engineers um but to hear them talk about what it means to have say to have a child Right. Um, yeah. is, is that there's a fear that like uh, my whiteness does not have mm-hmm. I don't people that who are white usually don't sit around thinking if I have a baby they're going to experience this they're always going to be at risk there's going to be a whole set of people in my country who hate me who right. hate them um, and just the fear that that generates yeah. um, you know and so I think what, we have to begin to think as pastors as white pastors before we begin to say, oh, I'm going to make a statement of I condemn this right. um, from my pulpit, is the how do I actually secede my power to someone else to yeah. make that statement? Because that's a bigger statement for me to give up my power and to allow someone else to, to make that statement for the whole community um, who doesn't have power and, and to give that away. And, and, and it's a lot of undoing Yes, of course I condemn what's happening. But, you know, for me to say on a podcast, I condemn this, or to stand with a thousand white evangelical pastors and say we condemn it, that's important. Right. But then if we go sit down and we don't listen and we don't secede our power and we don't realize how much privilege we have, it's useless. It's right. really useless. Yeah, and I, it's, man, I'm, I'm so, so, so far I haven't put anything on social media. I'm going to share something from my perspective um, later today, which... You know, I always, I always kind of struggle with because I'm like, man, so many like really wise people have said some really good stuff. Like, but but I was encouraged by someone in the church that they would really like to like have their pastor's leadership on this, and so I'm really, I'm really thankful for that. It, it was a reminder to me that that people are looking to me to say like, how do we think this through? Um, and uh, you know, I forget. I sometimes I still view myself as like, you know, like oh, like I just barely became a pastor, you know, but. No, you know, there's, these people have been walking with me for years, and I, I need to. I have I have something to offer, you know, and that's something I forget. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's social media is so fraught. You know, I was I, I'm so hesitant to do this kind of stuff because you know, like the other day, my wife put up something about how the owner of Jimmy John's is a big game hunter. Yeah, and you know, it got super sideways with friends and stuff. And I, I went and talked to her, and I said, hey. <laughs> You know, it because my wife loves animals. I mean, like our backyard is a farm, and every <laughs> little every bug that walks through is oh, look how cute! You know, and so I know where she's coming from. It just she likes Jimmy John sandwiches, and the thought that the owner is going around shooting elephants and stuff really bothers her. So, but then this it got into all these big moral arguments, and and people nobody knew her. Like they, they're people who weren't listening to her. They weren't hearing her. They don't understand her. They were just blasting off, being right, 
right? You know, and it and it wasn't even nearly as bad as a lot of blow ups I've seen. It was minor compared to yes. to normal, right? Very minor. But but you you know yeah you get this thing because we're you know something about being behind a screen and and I think we just I think we love being right and I think we love being right for the world to see and something about Facebook and other social media outlets just you know and and it starts to feel I, I feel sometimes like as a pastor like what you're supposed to do what the going feeling you're supposed to do is like put your social media post out there show that you're a good pastor and you have convictions and then that then you've done your job but what you're saying and I agree with is like no you haven't done your job just because you did that mm-hmm. like are you you know is this gonna is this gonna trickle down into how your church actually lives um, anyway so that's I, I really I wrestle with these things but anyway I the premise of kind of what I I initiated this conversation this time and it's because I did see uh, saw articles and it was surprising to me I saw one from Fox News and one from the Washington Post when I got home from um, I was in Phoenix on Saturday I was just there to watch a baseball game wasn't paying attention to the news got home late at night and saw something you know about violence in Charlottesville and so I, I saw these two articles and both of them is interesting to me from you got from conservative news organization and from you know one that's known to be more of a liberal news organization and both both papers or both organizations had articles come out that said white evangelical pastors um, you know need to address this and it was and it was interesting to me you know that that, that here's this is coming from both sides of the media and and, you know, and then I saw the, the quotes of Martin Luther King Jr. about the white moderate as the problem in his day, which I, you know, I've read letter from a Birmingham jail, and I, I agree with that, you know. And, uh, but it was, it, it's just interesting that in a day when, when white Christianity is so, you know, it's just, people just don't seem to want it around and, you know, but all of a sudden, people are going, "Hey, you white pastors, we need you, and we need you to do this uh, very specifically." And I, I took that very seriously within our church. I, I did talk about it at church, um, and uh, and kind of opened up. and And for us, we have a time of confession. So what I, you know, what I was feeling was this sense of, you know, I'm. Like you're saying, I, I'm privileged. I have there, there's inherent racism in me. So am I going to get up and condemn this as if I'm on some kind of moral high ground and I'm better, you know? Or I, I didn't feel like I could do that. So kind of what we did is we have a time of confession, and I offered that I was going to confess my my racism tonight, um, and inviting other people to do the same or or whatever on you know wherever they were at with their perspective where they were coming from like how do you contribute to this um how how do you contribute to it not stop it let it be not engage um you know misunderstand and be fine with it enjoy all the privileges without giving any thought to those who don't so so on and so forth so that's how we talked about it at church um so I, I feel like in within our community we really opened it up, I guess. But anyway, I um, so here we are, you know, three white men on a podcast. Right. 
and um, you know, I get, I feel <laughs> it's interesting. You know, it's like, but what the articles are asking for is for white evangelicals to to speak. Right. So in a, in a way, it's like this is the wrong conversation. There's three white men here. There's no there's no Jewish man. There's no African American man. There's no woman. There's no you know. There's well, I mean. I am part Jewish, so we can say I am here. Hey, <laughs> I'm okay. part Native American. There you go. So we're, we're good. And my family is like a mishmash of who knows what, but I'm white. <laughs> well, yes, but we're all white. We're all, yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. Oh yeah, I just but oh. Brian, would you point, wake up, Brian? Please? Brian, <laughs> Brian, wake hey, up, Brian. Brian. I just I just need a quick power nap. I'm sorry. Okay. Just, okay. They don't want the train. We Brian's back. So, um, anyway, no, Brian, what were you, what were you going to say? Well, you had, like you said, three white males having this conversation, uh, and you, Pastor Eric, I'm directing to you since people can't actually see, uh, had mentioned it's not necessarily like using our platform to make our voice heard about this conversation, but also giving away the power to uh, that voice. Well, what is the implication of that? Like, uh, how can we uh, do that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I actually think that as as white Americans, we have to be our. our Christians, we have to begin to realize that the whole theme of our like faith and following Jesus is actually a deconstruction of power. So the God of the universe humbles himself. Right. Like if you read Philippians chapter two, like this is the way we are supposed to operate. Yeah. We are supposed to be people who give away our power to the point where we're picking up a cross and dying to the things that we feel we own. Yeah. And even just beginning to develop that consciousness in our, our minds, like, even like forget race, let's just talk about the way we run a service. So most churches are have a stage, and the pastor stands on the stage. That's power. Right. Even if you don't stand on the stage, you have a mic, which means it amplifies your voice, which means it gives you a bully pulpit. It means that people are forced to listen to you, that you have a stronger voice. 90% of the time, most people don't say anything in the service, so they don't have any input until afterwards. That in itself is a, a way of controlling what's being said. It's interesting to me that people in your church look to you and say, hey, we want you to say something. I wonder what would happen if you said, I'm actually not going to say anything. You need to say something, and I'll say it with you. Right. Um, let's say it together. Uh, and, let, and, and have them articulate this is how I feel. This is making force them into the uncomfortability um, of it and wrestle with it. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times, what we do as white Americans, and this is why I think I have a hard time with people saying, "Okay, evangelical pastors," is that we're giving it to our leaders. We're saying, "Hey, leaders, you you make the statement. I'm not going to do any of the hard work here. You do the hard work. You make the statement." And I think as a good leader, yes, sometimes we have to make statements, but most of the time we need to turn the statement back on the people and say, no, no, like, let's, I'm going to actually kind of try to deconstruct my own power and let's make the statement together. Yeah, but maybe I have some more knowledge or maybe my job allows me to, to begin to think 
guide your conversation or think it through with you, but I think what we've become as people is we, we do whatever the leader says. So, for instance, you know, it's a few Ku Klux Klan out in, a, in the forest, you know, doing things they shouldn't do, and then all of a sudden, if it gets legitimized by some kind of power, you have 50,000 people marching on Washington, D.C., Right. happens. So, yeah. and people are like, well, where did all these people come? Well, power legitimized them, and then all of a sudden, there's more. And so yeah. we have to be, because as people, like, we're followers, and that's okay, but we got to teach people to actually have a voice and think and own, mm-hmm. you know, their own beliefs. So that's, that's kind of where I come from, all of that kind of stuff. The other thing is, I think we need to start reading outside of our little circles. We need to read African-American activists, Hispanic activists, who are going to say things that are going to make us squirm and make us comfortable, and and we need to begin to, like, internally deal with our own, like you said, racism, but just our own enjoyment of our our, our privilege. Yeah. I could go on and on about this, so I need to be careful that I don't (laughs) rant and... and Yeah, no, I'm... uh, I'm looking something up, so forgive me for a second, Brian. Maybe you can uh, just carry this conversation for a sec. But I, I had read something from uh, the Reformed African American Network, so okay. I'm, I'm looking that up. I wanted to I wanted to represent it well. Um, no, that's but, important. There it is. But anyway, um, Brian, while I'm doing that, I'm curious. So hearing that as you've attended both of our churches younger white man yes millennium uh, yes as we, as we pointed out um you know respond to eric of like what are you is that does that sound good or what are when you're thinking what i what do i need from a pastor right now even even like forget what eric said just what would you <laughs> What would you say? Because Eric, we, we don't care what Eric says. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're taking his power away from no, him. No, then you should. Right now. Because right I, I, this is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, what are you, what would you like to hear, receive, get, you know, like, in a, in a moment like this, when you look to a pastor, what, what would you hope for? So, considering this podcast is happening so really, really uh, soon after the events have transpired and we're still learning more about everything and on top of that, I I heard about everything. I didn't start reading about it until last night because, yeah. uh, because of work, because of traveling to California and uh, funerals and stuff like that and um, so I've it's been difficult to uh, process everything and we talked about transparency in the past is like just like I, I don't know what the answer is I don't know how I'm supposed to kind of move forward uh, there's th- different practical ways in terms of just like being present with um, those that are suffering and uh, what I've seen is like I, one of the questions I wanted to ask was that 
well, I was wondering if you guys felt obligated to share something. Because I know that, um, that because of these articles and stuff like that, and they've said that we're all contributing the problem. Uh, man, I wish I, I had the uh, post in front of me. Is that? Oh, that's actually what it is right there. Oh, that's what yeah. you were looking at. Okay. So, interestingly on this, so the Washington Post article I was referring to was written by an African-American guy from the Reformed African-American Network. So right. he, they shared it. He, it's not bad. He wrote it for the Washington Post. And, um, and so, you know, here's a, here's a little, is this okay to insert this yeah, real quick? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, here's, here's a little piece. You know, white Christians will inevitably ask, but what do we do? This question perpetuates the problem. People of color did not create white supremacy. White people did. To ask a racial minority how to solve a problem they didn't create and one under which they suffer only adds to their burdens. Um, And he asks for a few, he lists four things. Admit the American church was built on white supremacy. Confess and repent of past sins. Commit to responding to white supremacy with the vigor the problem requires and listen to black people. So I feel like in a way he's saying, he's saying, what you're saying is like, I want to listen to black people and give them a voice and he is asking for that. But then on the flip side, he's saying, look, like, you know, the white church built this. Do something about it. Like, don't just pass it off to me. And us, you know that. I mean, this is one yes. perspective, right? Right. Well, and Bell Hooks would, who's a you know leftist feminist, would disagree, and she right. would that she would say, "Look, white people don't know how to not be racist, and if you right. leave, you tell them, you figure it out. They're not going to figure it out because they haven't figured it out for hundreds of years. They're not going to figure it out now. They actually have to be taught because yeah. they don't see the systemic. I don't understand my privilege. I can't." I didn't even understand what he says when he's talking about how my church was built on white supremacy. I believe him. I just don't understand. And I don't think I can effectively undo it. So I I think, I also think, forget what, what these kinds of things should do for us is not for me to go, I, even to spend time talking to African American people or you know Hispanic people, what I got to do is sit with three white guys and say, we need to deconstruct our power. We need to understand how our power is flaunted in all the different places and how it impacts people because it is. I walk into a room, I am six foot three, 260 pounds, white male. Women, minorities, people, that's a power thing. And I have to understand that I just, in that, impact people. And part of it is my race. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and because some of my race provides me not to be fearful like okay he's six foot four and big but he's not black he's not hispanic so i'm okay he's not like he fits in the main so so i think even those things i have to begin to understand and i just am not that conscious like i really have to have it pointed out to me over and over again well but i even feel like what you're doing now is like that's helpful so like what what often happens is i mean there i would assume there are a lot of people we know that don't have the like the wherewithal to to even say that right um, okay and so like in a way like 
I mean, you just you just took over the mic. Man. I did. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I really <laughs> am. <laughs> no, but like, I usually don't. I'm usually you know it's usually Andy, Andy. or you. Oh, okay, I was just saying Andy. It's right. usually you me. speak more than me. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You, yeah. I, we need to empower you. I well, I I'm the host and I'm here to facilitate those conversations. I do want to, if I can, respond to your question because I yeah. didn't get to really finish. Uh, and I, I want to actually read part of this. Uh, quote, and I'm sorry for taking it like out of context. It's going to be the full uh, thing. One of the things is that admit the American church was built on white supremacy. From the colonial era to the present day, white churches have helped build a society that privileges whiteness and denigrates blackness. In light of the church's white church's involvement in creating and maintaining white supremacy, white pastors can presume that their churches are already part of the problem intentionally or not. So what I what my hope is that leaders would would be there to be like allow for their members like myself to be transparent and be like this is something that I don't get what the thing aspects of that I do understand is that like I don't have to worry about eventually my kids like uh, going because of the color of the skin to different areas like oh what what are the implications in terms of society it was like my kid's not black no, no one's gonna like look at him if he has a hoodie on or whatever right. so th- those things I understand but in terms of uh, a lot of my friends who've uh, white friends who've never looked at someone of another color negatively in any sort of way never devalued them so in terms of that being like a part of the problem uh, it's like the imposing the thing is like even though they never done anything and when there, there was an opportunity to, like, stand up for someone of color, they've actually taken that. So it's not a lack of passivity either. So there's this concern that uh, there's, like, this thing of... Because one issue that I've always had for my entire life is that, like, my favorite word, like, two words is I'm sorry. It's just, like, I've taken responsibility for... Th- I feel like I have to take responsibility th- I, I, uh, for things I've never done. And uh, and I've always... Want, like, part of me has always stri- striven... Like, part of me values that. Part of me has striven not to uh, be like, like, step back. It was like, okay, th- this is something that, uh, like, like, I didn't do. This was not my fault. This is something that someone else had wronged me. And I'm not, uh, so, like, trying to differentiate me, so I'm not putting on this, in a sense, sin that I don't have. I'm not saying that I'm not racist or don't have that. Because I, like I, I definitely can be part of the problem in some ways, but um, and I, but if I'm not passively like letting it happen, uh, or like not actively letting it happen, um, I, I just I, I, there's concern that some people are uh, having this thing imposed on them that they never were like I'm, I've never really seen how in my life that I've intentionally caused or, or, or like unintentionally even uh, caused this problem to progress uh, within my own power so there's a there's an interesting piece that that you know we've mentioned a couple times I mean this this writer is comes from a reformed theological perspective mm-hmm. I realize that some of our listeners may know what that is some of you may not it, it gets all sorts of and this is an African American reformed leader um, and, and so there's anyway that's a whole nother discussion but one thing that that what we would call a, a reformed um, understanding of 
the gospel and of sin and all that is, is that sin is actually way more pervasive than we want to admit. It doesn't require you to be doing anything on purpose. It doesn't actually require that you do anything yourself because it's also inherited. So, like, you, like, are implicate like, there is actual guilt for sins done in the past all the way back to the beginning um, and, and it and it comes down the line and and it's and we are always fight that we hate that thought because it's like why am I responsible like I mean so you could go back to like a creation account why am I responsible for what Adam did that's not fair you know and similarly we we can easily think like why am I responsible for people you know Jim Crow and why and the and why am I responsible I was not there I did not do that but interestingly like the scriptural like idea of sin is that like like guilt follows like even families and races and all of that and what that does it's an incredible resource like if there's anybody listening that's not a Christian um, I I want to encourage you as as repugnant as this sounds to think about it because what we're always asking people to do is we're always asking people to not just look over the sins of the past and act like they're not there. And what this guy is saying is he's saying, white people, own the sins of your ancestors. How can he say that? Well, it's because like because this like humanity, this fallenness, this brokenness is shared. We're impacted by it. It's actually it in us. And I noticed that, like my my mom and dad, like had very racist parents, like specifically racist. And then things that my mom and dad have said that you know I, I don't believe they sat down and thought through. I'm going to be a racist, but they they had just you know there were parts of them that were inherently and obviously to me racist. I have dropped some of the little language things and little actions that they did, but I still have that racist, ten- racist tendency. And so, I mean, I noticed stuff like there was a, there was a hip hop song I used to really like. And there was, I grew up with in this multiracial friend group. And I remember listening to this song when I was in high school and it said, you know, what if the, the fact that you have black friends doesn't change the fact that you're racist? Ask yourself that the next time you lock your car door when I walk by. And I thought, Oh no! I st- I react differently to a big African American man in a dark alley than I would to Eric. That's racism, and I got it from my parents, and they got it from their parents, and they got it, and it and it's with us, and I, that means I share in the guilt. And so this understanding of sin means that we can actually repent and confess what happened in the past, and not just say it's gone, it's over, it has nothing to do with me. We can actually say, it does have something to do with me. It's still in me. I am wrong. And even though we, we might feel like we've done everything we can, we can still admit it. And the, But the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that grace is so amazing that you can stand and say that about yourself and about other people without taking on a moral superiority complex. You can have humility. And you can have hope. And you don't have to be just like, oh, I'm a piece of trash. I don't know. Anyway, there's I, my... I agree. Uh, <clears throat> I think um, in terms of, like, spiritually, that like, that's... Like, I fall in line, like, 100%. Yeah. And then there's, like, this... Um, this aspect of, like... Um, like, cul- culturally, I'm part of the problem. Well, that, that's where I'm, like... 
uh, like in terms of like or politically I'm part of the problem that's where I'm like I, I don't feel like I'm not I, I, I don't feel like I'm part of the problem as a result of that but spiritually like in, but like of course at the end of the day yeah those relationships like like a relationship with me and one other person could have implica- like uh, have a ripple effect to where it does impact the culture it does impact well, it. and an experience I had that so I invite you to consider this experience so I yeah. I lived in in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, I was one of the only white people in the area. And you know, when I got there, I wore I wore baggy pants. I wore um, you know athletic shoes. I had a big Mark Echo, big jacket, and I wore a beanie because it was super cold. And I remember walking down the street one day, and I never was afraid of the police. Um, I was afraid of a lot of things, but I wasn't afraid of the police. I remember there was a kid walking down the street. What's he wearing? Like, not a kid. I mean, I'm in my early 20s. This guy's about the same age. He's wearing a big jacket. He's wearing a beanie, some slightly baggy pants, and some athletic shoes. And a cop car pulls up right next to both of us on the street and strip searches him. And I was watching it because I was just standing there. And then they let him go. They didn't find anything. And he, the way he reacted to it was like, this happens all the time. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't shocked. He just let it happen. And then he kind of went on his way off to the bus stop. And I went on my way to the bus stop. And it dawned on me, there's one difference between me and him. The color of our skin. And so, and I didn't speak for him. I didn't, like, I felt, what I actually felt was relief that I didn't have to deal with that. Um... And so it's like when you when you're faced with that, it's like, oh man, like I stood by, I felt good. That's racism. That's me. That's the system. Like I'm part of the system. I'm part of the cultural. There, there was so much there, and that was just one incident, you know. Right. Um, what were you going to say? I cut you off. No, no, no. I, I think like when. For me, it's hard, and I think we have to use the word racism, but I don't like to philosophically. I like the word power, partly because um, every within the United States, every minority has its own journey, yeah, um, and it's very different. Yeah. The African-American community was brought in through slavery, yeah. and then each one has a different kind of experience of things. But when I want to think about I like to think about it in the context of power for two reasons. One... There's a guy at our church who I asked him, he, he's Puerto Rican, I asked him, like, well, tell me some of your experiences of racism. Well, he said, oh, yeah, I've experienced a lot of racism. But he grew up in an African-American community. Yeah. And right. they were brutal to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Brian, what was that? Brian, pay attention. He's <laughs> saying got, something really I'm saying really something really good. important, Brian. Uh, oh, that, well, that, I'm in power right now, and I want, I want my power, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that's a good another thing that to to speak about some racism or whatever is not to say like I mean that something we can't do, and I don't think this this right. guy would ever say in this article it would be that that the very people who are being victimized now cannot also perpetrate. Right, right, right. And, and I think that, but in our culture, I mean, I don't know. How, if you look at American history, you have Madison and Hamilton who started the extremisms. And they, they, they were great friends. They ran into some issues, and 
and they began to run political campaigns that were extremist. And ever since then, I mean, the Constitution is the only thing that's kept us not extreme. Yeah. And we are, it's in the nature of who we are as people, is Americans. The other thing is, like, the reason I like to talk about is power and not racism is because I think what I, what I don't like is I don't like being called to be an activist. Because I don't think the role of a pastor is to be an activist. The role of a pastor is What's, to be an advocate, yeah. which I like your story. Yeah. Because you would not be an activist to right. step in. You would have been an advocate. Yes. And we really need to figure out how, one, we are can advocate for people who are not in power. And two, how do we give that away, too? Right. How do we give our own power away? Right. And, and be people who listen. I mean, we have to listen and learn. Yeah. And be humble. Like, we have to say, no, I didn't know that. I need to I need to think about that. I need to process how that impacts the people around me. And I and I think that's that's really good. And there's some people out there that, you know, you might not think of as, like, fighting racism. When I was in Chicago, there was a pastor named Wayne Gordon, and he was at a church called Lawndale Community. And what he did is he came in, and he became a football coach, and he became a pastor, but then he raised up the, like, his football team and he discipled them and he gave them the church and they run the ministry in the community you know african-american men that he invested in highly and then there's a whole community of, of folks that they've invested in and he gave his power away he like if you go back to lawndale it's, you know of course everybody knows who wayne gordon was but you'll see all sorts of uh, african-american leaders in the community it's beautiful and then um you know i was I mentioned I, I got to be in a Q&A with Mark Dever recently, and he you know, has, along with him, multiple young African-American men he's discipling to be pastors. And he mentioned that he, like, one of his big goals right now is to, is to bring more African-American scholars in, into the, the Christian community. And so you see that, and it's like, you know, you don't tend to think of that. That's, you don't think of those guys as, like, activists. But here they are, like investing and giving authority, power, scholar, like seats of, of authority and institutions to, to, to these folks, you know? And so that, I see that and I'm like, man, that's, that's the fight. Like that's, you know, that there's a lot of things needed, but that's something that's going to really like impact us long-term is that kind of investment, you know? So, I'm thinking, uh, how long have we been going back? I don't know. How long has our podcast been so not, far? I have no idea. It's been, uh, I don't know. I don't have the timing on there. 1369.3 bar, whatever that is. I'm thinking we're at about 40 minutes. Gotcha. Okay. Just what make sure, kind of like figuring out how long one. Uh, well, out. do you have any other questions for us? Yeah, can you bring up the article one more time? Yeah. It might be based on that. I'll go past it. Anyway, this is quite the silence we've given yeah, you we, on we, the we, other we, end of, yeah, the, of this uh, podcast. But you know, so. in, in, uh, when you have breakfast, there are sometimes those awkward silences, you know, where yeah. you're just like... Ugh. When you're with friends and you're like, I just don't have anything uh, more to say about to say that. right now. Yeah. Why do you think... I know that you have uh, members of uh, 
your community that are of different uh, races as well. Uh, what and for uh, the mission church as well? What is the hope, or what is, I guess, the plan? I don't know if like a plan is the right word, but to give voice to uh, give them a voice. Like, wh- uh, what do you feel? Uh, what do you think the solution is, or the best way to go about it, to where like they do feel like their voices are being heard? Yeah, I'll say uh, we've had this discussion, and like what I, you know, I, I feel like what I'm hoping for, and what you know, is a deep relationship. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm talking about just I, it doesn't matter, you know. It, I don't, I don't want to limit this to like I'm looking for a black friend or something like but I, I just want like real and deep relationships to lead to like really like entrusting you know others with the work of the gospel in, in many different ways and I would hope that that would that that would con- like continue to happen in our church with you know African American folks and then with you know every other every other race that that exists. I mean, here in Tucson, it's like you've got you've got Hispanic and, and all sorts of versions of Hispanic folks that come up through through the border for different reasons. And um, you know, there's a there's a big Asian community. We're a college town, and there's you know, I would I would hope for like continual building of really deep and meaningful relationships that are founded on the gospel that would lead to a diverse body of Christ working together I don't know if that's the right answer I, I don't have a plan I feel like it's I don't know it, it feels weird to me to say like I'm looking for a, a person of a certain race to take over this ministry I just don't think that's how it works I, I think you build meaningful and deep relationships in church and community and then when you like and let people do what God's called them to do and trust them Eric, how do you view that? Uh, well, I mean, the hard thing for me is that I really believe, like, when you are a church, because of the way the body of Christ works, it's much better to be a church that is not, let's say, Jack in the Box, that has everything on the menu. Like, and you just right. don't do anything well. So I don't want to, like, focus. You're saying Jack in the Box tacos aren't any good? Not really. Not compared to some other tacos. <laughs> right? I mean, they're all edible. It's all edible. Yeah. And, and But it's not necessarily of high quality. But if you go to In-N-Outs, per se, which is what I think a good model for churches is that they just do hamburgers and shakes, and that's it. They're not doing tacos. They're not doing chicken. They're not doing any of those kinds of things. In-N-Out is the least multi-ethnic restaurant in America. Yeah, it's as far as the food they serve. Yes, <laughs> it's not very multi-ethnic. It's like, and it's very white. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but they and I feel so for me, it's like okay, I, if I don't want to become like the church that's advocating for these things, I want to be a church that allows its community to dictate sort of what is it's going to look at, but part of our community is that we're in America so so we have to allow like we have to allow the voices of all the other communities like the African American Reformed community to speak right. and then we have to say well how does that fit into my context how do I in the things that we offer begin to understand these things and I mean things that have changed me is just people talking 
when people honestly talk about their experiences yeah. of being white, of being Puerto Rican, of being Japanese, of being, you know, a follower of Jesus, like my daughter, for instance, and I'm like completely, you know, left to school where she goes. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus in that school? Um, it's she's a minority hearing her story is fascinating to me yeah. and, and so we have to listen listening is what changes if we listen to change we'll change and I, and I think that should be the call to all pastors is let's create listening communities and not communities that think they're right Yeah, like we really do in our theology and the way we've split ourselves believe that right is important because it protects you it gives you I mean, if you're not right, what will happen? Everything's going to go to heck in a handbasket. Yeah. I don't know if I can swear on air. I think I already did in the first podcast. Yeah, go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. All the cool new podcasts are doing it. So culturally relevant. Yeah, we're not doing that. (laughs) We are not going to be bad Christian. We're going to only be semi-bad. Semi-bad. I mean, we were we'll say heck in a handbasket. <laughs> yeah, we were formed, right? So we were already bad. So it's yeah, bad. we're we're aware of, of that. Um, yeah, so I guess I don't. You know, I don't know if we've given you much of a no. That's a perfect. Plan. I mean, like, cause, uh, I think I'm pray. Not, we need to pray. <laughs> we definitely need to pray. I I also agree. Like, I, I would say one thing. Like, I don't think unity, like necessarily, means like every church needs to be like. Like just uber multiracial, like or everything's exact. Like I don't think that's gonna. I don't think like our African American brothers and sisters are gonna like really click in like a South Korean Presbyterian setting. Like you know, and so it's like the. I think that what what we can do is like accept and celebrate and team up in many different ways with folks who are different than us, but also understand that like every church is like. I, I, I tend to talk about, like, I think we should have a lot of little small churches, and we've talked about this before, that meet all sorts of nooks of society and then have a deep unity between them. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is your and my vision yeah. for the world. But yeah. it, nobody agrees which, with us. Which is like, imagine, like, in the restaurant where, like, it's like, it's like going down Fourth Avenue and, you know, in the Indian restaurant, I don't actually, I don't think there's an Indian restaurant anymore, but it's like, there'll be, like, the little... You know, restaurant that's Peruvian or or something like that, and it's like, and that's beautiful because the streets are lined with all these different types of places that are working in unity. It's not that that one attempts to be everything, right? Um, and so that and I that kind is of a very that. uniquely American experience. Yeah, that is a very uncommon. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's I think diversity and worshiping in diverse ways and is. Yeah. is good and part of how we can embrace that is to just fully support what somebody else is doing down the street yeah um, so that's one one method because I you know I think God's given us very specific little visions to, to reach little nooks of Tucson and they're very different the village and mission very different very different yeah, yeah. listen to our first podcast and hear more about that yeah and maybe uh, we'll but, talk but, about that again yeah <laughs> oh yeah true true uh, but yeah that, that's exactly what like would hope to hear. I mean, like, because the way I frame the question kind of leads it off to, to where, like, oh, well, like, we'll have this system or this plan. And I don't think that's a desire that we want to, like, have this, like, specific plan. And I was like, okay, if we do A, B, and C, and D, and then this will happen or whatever. They're like, so they just, like, fit into part of this plan rather than being, like, it, it, having, so, like, an essence of humility and also, like, 
distance of it, just like we're just like really glad you're here and yeah. are a part of this. Sorry. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. I think we've. I think we've explored this. Yeah. I don't know. In the world, including thoughts, Brian. Uh, and this will always be. I. Th- I don't think this will ever be a conversation that'll go away. But I think as. Uh, my last question would be, uh, to close it out. What, what's the healthiest way to move forward? What would you say? Whether it's to your specific congregation or to Tokyo and the world. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think humility um, is just a huge thing that we need right now. And um, humility, confession of sin, should be a couple yeah. things. Yeah. Humility, confession of sin, being willing to listen. Yeah. And go read Bella. Okay. Pick up Bella. She'll, she'll change your life. Huh. And right. she'll make you super uncomfortable and angry. But good. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much for tuning in to Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Andy Littleton, Pastor Eric Seepin, and your host, which is me, Brian Betts. Uh, tune in next week. Uh, hopefully, what I'm hoping is that we do a Q&A soon, whether it be even next week or the week after. So if you have any questions for us, just faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com send us a question and we'll go through it and uh, respond as uh, with as much humility well I saw you down on the corner store I seen you there many days before I wondered my my what the little fly boy like you doing hanging out with the goons in town oh saw you by the liquor store I asked you what you been down there for you said I ain't got nothing to do with my time so I'm put Committing petty crimes And I, I walk down the streets Through the city flocks And gigs I see people walking around Beating beats Beating that Did he do And you say What's your name Where you come from anyway I go to school To study education My friend It's such a thrill It's such a high elation You see When I get to the top Of the investigation I'm about to Let you down With the criminal Interrogation Take you into the court system The problem is nobody ever wants to listen